bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erica, and returning to us from the glorious country of France (laughs) is Christian, Kristen Raworth. How are you doing? I'm excellent. I'm fantastic. I'm excited to be back with you. Yeah. You have a nice glow going. (laughs) I still am tan, so I'm really My brother gets married in two weeks. And so I'm hoping that the tan just like sticks around till then because I'm a bridesmaid. So I see. Okay. So white people problems. Um, <laughs> so it's we're super, super white. Yeah. <laughs> basically. So do you know, I have been sporting a tan line since the sun basically came out in May. Like it's, it's, I know I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell people something here about, about tanning. Yes, I do tan. Um, and I have a wicked like tan line, like basically 10 minutes out there and I'm just done. So yeah, mm -hmm, that's me. I've never had a sunburn either. So, (laughs) but I don't stand out in the sun baking like people. I like, I seek the shade. I like the shade. The shade has breeze, you know, sometimes. Sometimes you get that nice breeze and you're either the, like you could fall asleep. It's so relaxing. Okay. The sun yeah. beating down on my chest is not relaxing. I don't know how y'all do it. The That's first it. day, the first, what it was really is the first day that we were in the South, it was hot, but it was also cloudy. Mm. And I was stupid and I didn't wear sunscreen because I was like, it's not that bad. And it was just nice to be yeah. in the heat. <laughs> and so I sat out, I sat out for like, like two hours and I had mm. no idea. And I was, I was like bright, bright red. Like just, it was ridiculous. So I'm so, and I was there, even my dad who never uh, gets like burned, got burned. So oh. we were both stupid, but we were smart every day after that. I do wear sunscreen though. I will say that. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't. It's just, I'm a dumb, dumb. No, no, no. Like it happens is the point. It happens. Everybody has a story like that. Yeah. Everybody who burns has a story like that. <laughs> so let's move on. Oh, I need to do some housekeeping. Um, so I put together a little list in show notes about like all the stuff basically I've done over the past two weeks and it was quite a list actually I remember remember thinking I don't remember pumping all this out like I I do remember doing it but I anyway I didn't realize it was so much anyway we have you can see my me talk about reproductive justice and the end of Roe versus Wade on CBC um you could hear me talk about Patrick Brown's demise which we'll talk about in a minute Mm-hmm. Um, my Canada Day piece. Um, I had I wrote a piece in April about the conservatives going full MAGA. Um, I wrote a Globe and Mail piece about artificial intelligence and the perils of B C twenty seven. 
um, talked about that on Toronto Today. And I was, and this is, we're recording Wednesday, so it's tomorrow for me. But once you hear this, it will be a was. Part of a roundtable for Artificial Intelligence and Data Act put on by the Center for Media Technology and Democracy at McGill University. Um, so I'm really looking forward to talking about that and just talking about this bill and artificial intelligence and the perils for BIPOC, non-binary and trans people um, and things like that. And uh, yeah, so now that I've been through um, housekeeping, let's let's talk about Patrick Brown. Mm-hmm. So um, Patrick Brown was disqualified from the conservative leadership race last night, of course, due to serious allegations of wrongdoing that, quote, appear to violate the financial provisions of the Canada Elections Act, unquote, according to a statement from Ian Brody, chair of the Leadership Election Organizing Committee, or LEOC for short. Um, Yeah, I know. The party became aware of the allegations in recent weeks, the statement says. And the chief returning officer asked the Brown campaign for a written, written response. Now, this whole written response thing, um, Brown uh, basically says, uh, you did not, you just asked for, you had a secret meeting to disqualify me. Um, you're trying to silence me. Um, and I capitulated to your bizarre requests. And you didn't really tell me what they were for. So that's basically what's happening. And it just uh, came out, it just came out from his party from the co-chair of his campaign that they're appealing the decision. They're appealing the decision. Yep. So um so of course, uh basically Brown has been disqualified from the Conservative Party leadership race. And just when you thought this dinosaur was going to be put to bed, bam, we have action. So today's theme, I suppose this episode's theme is what the hell is happening with the conservative party? Yeah. So what's happening? What's happening? What is what's going on? Kristen, tell us. Um. I mean, I think, first of all, like, so the allegations that Patrick Brown is making, because he was on Evan Solomon today, mm-hmm. uh, was basically that this was engineered by Pierre Polyev and that the party was, you know, had, had already selected Polyev as who they wanted to win. And so they were trying to get rid of him because he was such a big threat. And I think that there's two p- components to that. First of all, yes, Patrick Brown absolutely is able to mobilize. He was able to get a lot of memberships. He's able to speak to communities that I don't think other people within the leadership race were able to speak to specifically like ethnic communities within his constituency. But at the same time, I don't 
I think he's giving himself a lot more credit than he deserves. I mean, I don't think Pierre Polyev needed to get rid of Patrick Brown to win. I think, I think it was already pretty much, everybody pretty much already knew that that was what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And also this is not exactly the first, second or third time that Patrick Brown has been accused of malfeasance. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, it happened when he was leader of the PC party in Ontario <clears throat> more than once. And I'm not talking about the incident uh, that, that led him to actually leave, but he had other problems there. And just, I think two days ago, five city councillors in Brampton wrote an open letter demanding that he resign as mayor. So he's, he, this isn't an isolated incident where, right. you know, there's been no issues with Patrick Brown previously. And I think, you know, while I can, I think that the way the party is handling it by being, they aren't talking about what the allegations actually are. They aren't being very transparent. Ian Brody, Ian Brody put that statement out at what would have been almost midnight in, in Ontario. Mm-hmm. So because I think it was, yeah, it was like 9.45 or something like that, or nine o'clock in Edmonton. So that's, it's, that part is shady. The fact, the way they're handling it is shady. Mm-hmm. I don't think that, it's necessarily shady that they're that they've kicked him out but I think that the way that they're handling it makes it look shady Mm -hmm. I I don't think Patrick Brown basically does has done anything that Pierre Poiliev hasn't done personally um I think that uh the idea that the conservative party is somehow pristine (laughs) no and you know what the thing too you know is a joke what I always find hilarious about these conversations, first of all, it happens in every party. I'm not both sides. It does. It happens in every single party. I know people who, you know, back when I, I, I had a liberal membership once, it was an exciting time. <laughs> when Paul Martin, when Paul Martin was running the for the skeletons leadership. come out. <laughs> yeah. When Paul Martin was running for the leadership. Yeah. And yeah. like, basically, I think I was at a party and a bunch of dudes that I knew who were working for him. We're like, hey, do you want to sign us up? We'll pay for you. And then just basically got me to sign a piece of paper and that was it. Like stuff like that happens all the time. That that sounds like the liberals. <laughs> well, and I mean, but it, and I know I've like I I've seen membership sales in, in all different parties that are kind of like that. So there are issues, and I'm and so for, so for the conservatives to claim that this is some sort of one-off is not, I'm sure is not correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure that there was a tangible effort by a lot of folks to highlight issues within the Patrick Brown campaign. Mm-hmm. But I, I think to frame it like he was, cause I saw one article today being like, he was going to win. No, he wasn't going to win. <laughs> no, like, he wasn't. I don't <laughs> think, I don't think anybody could credibly, like I, does it benefit Pierre Poiliev? Sure. Uh, was his hand in it I wouldn't put it past him you know like I wouldn't I I don't I just don't think that anybody's pristine here mm-hmm. and that's that's basically it is Patrick Brown slimy fuck yeah you know what I mean like yeah. all of these things can be true at the same time yeah right? and this is the this is the thing that we always struggle with in these kind of conversations. Yeah. And I appreciate that, you know, you always try to bring up the nuance and things is multiple things can be true. Yeah. Like, and, and, they, and they usually are in these kind of situations. And, you know, it's the, the unfortunate thing is I think that this is going to negatively impact the charade campaign. Mm-hmm. And how so? 
because I think that a lot of the people who signed up for Patrick Brown signed up because they felt loyal to Patrick Brown and down ballot support, they likely would have thrown their support to Sheree. Now, these people who feel passionately about Patrick Brown, which is a sentence I don't really understand, <laughs> are, 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 they might not come out. They yeah. might just say, fuck it. I'm not, I'm not going to come vote because I don't believe in this process anymore mm-hmm. because my candidate has been kicked out. So right. there goes potentially 100,000 votes for right. Sheree that he would yeah. have not, he potentially gotten otherwise. Yeah, yeah. So it's been reported that a lot of those votes were of racialized people from in and around Brampton, maybe South Asian, Black, maybe Asian, you know, et cetera. Um, And, you know, this kind of adds to this idea that the Conservative Party is only here for white people. And like, that's, I think, a nuance that or it's not so much of a nuance. (laughs) It's a consideration, I would say, that maybe the party should have thought about in terms of how they went about um, uh, uh, communicating this development. Well, I think, you know, it goes way back to the beginning of this conversation because, and not our conversation, but the, the leadership conversation and the willingness of Patrick Brown, even before the leadership, to publicly and very passionately come out against Bill 21. Things like that in Quebec. And so people like, like that, has, that has really mobilized his base. And people like Pierre Polyev, who I, I noted uh, the other day was tweeting about a, a, a group of Sikh men who lost their jobs because of, of their, their beards. And he was very unhappy about that but has been very quiet on the firing of Muslim women in Quebec because they're wearing a hijab. And that's because they don't want to lose those votes. And I think Patrick Brown was able to speak to those communities because he was speaking to the issues that matter to them and Bill 21 matters to them. And I haven't seen Jean Charest be very vocal on it either. And so I think these are, this is the issue that conservatives have. I mean, the liberals are shitty on it too, but this is an issue that conservatives consistently have is understanding that ethnic communities, while yes, there are a lot of ethnic communities that are deeply conservative and deeply socially conservative, but they also care, like, but they, they, they won't move out of that understanding. They just kind of think, well, we have this socially conservative ethnic vote in the base, in, in, in the bag, so I'm not going to worry about it. But they don't understand that those, those communities who voted for them in 2007 have children and those children are not as conservative as their Thank parents. Thank you. Okay. See, this is exactly it. And this is something that um, I think, like I wrote about the black vote in uh, the federal election of last year. Mm-hmm. And I talked about, and I, I, I wasn't sure if I was explicit about it, but I talked about how, you know, generationally speaking, you know, for example, Stephen Harper and Jason Kenney get a lot of credit when in 2011, they sort of corralled the sort of quote unquote ethnic vote of, and they, and which was conflated with new Canadians. And I was just like, yeah, that's like our parents, (laughs) like 
we are different. And that generational, the ones, the people who grew up here have been exposed to, have been taught that this multiculturalism and this equality, and then come out and see these, these, these issues floating around, like Bill 21, like kneecap bans, uh, like, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And so that matters to that segment who are not as conservative as their parents. I'm not as conservative as my parents, not nearly, you know? And so like I, whenever, whenever pollsters, especially write about quote unquote, the ethnic vote, I sometimes have to remind people that the new Canadians that came here are very different politically than their kids will be. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think too, it's, it's, um, and you see it in other countries too, for example. In yeah. France, it's like- not just, it's not just, um, yeah. it's not just here. It is um, kind of like, I think it's just an immigrant phenomenon, right? Yeah. I think what it takes to kind of survive and it, you do need to be sort of conservative, right? You are trying to make, you're out of place. You're trying to make a space for yourself. Like I get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, but your kids aren't going to be as conservative as you because they grew up with sort of these Western values that yeah. are more liberal. And, so- and that's just the way it is. It doesn't mean that compared to other like sort of you know um sort of generational canadians that they aren't more conservative than them or maybe as liberal who knows but that's that is that is a nuance sort of in the data that i don't think has been um highlighted enough and i don't think it's separated or considered at the time the data is studied and analyzed and you know you not to like get too much into like the quote unquote how the sausage is made, but every party targets their messaging to voting blocks, quote unquote mm. voting blocks. And I remember, I think it was like 10 years ago when Christy Clark got in trouble because someone, something got leaked that she had specifically targeted one announcement to a community. And, but that happens all the time. I mean, every, every party does that. But I think that the issue is, is that the conservatives are still seeing this voting block as stagnant. And it's not. And as, I think that that's, as 2011. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, when they picked up in 2011, they did pick up a heck of a lot of seats in Ontario. And part of that was those were, were those communities. And again, Jason Kenney, like that was that mm-hmm. was what he did. And he worked with those communities and he, and, you know, and he, he's very well respected and liked in a lot of those communities as a result of that. But that was 11 years ago. And People do care, again, going back to Bill 21, but they also care about, you know, a lot of other issues. They're not just a a targeted ethnic vote who only care about specific issues to their community. And so I think that the conservatives have kind of almost given up that voting block to the liberals and to the NDP because they really haven't done a lot to target them and work with them. And, you know, a lot of this messaging that they have out, like you know, I've heard Candace Bergen say this around women specifically, and then I've heard other people say, well, we're all equal and I don't want to, spe- you know, specify one person. And they don't want to acknowledge things like systemic discrimination. They don't want to have that conversation. No. And so when you're, when you're telling a community what is real for you every single day, I don't acknowledge that. That doesn't exist for me. Why are they going to vote for you? Like, why would they go out and, and volunteer for you or give you money when you're telling them that their lived experience not only does it, it not matter, it's not real. 
Right. That's a great way of putting it. That's a, that's a wonderful way of putting it. So, um, so speaking of, I'm like, where do I want to go from here? here? (laughs) Well, the Patrick Brown campaign has had its issues as of late. Um, Michelle Rempel Garner, of course, um, resigned, uh, manager did too. And the campaign manager did too. And then what was the thing with the campaign manager went to work for somebody then? No. So basically what happened was for your listeners who aren't like super excited about Alberta politics is Michelle Rempel Garner has always been one of the names that comes up every single time that there is any conservative leadership availability provincially or federally. She's like Ronna Ambrose. Everybody always talks about her, but she's never gotten in. And then I think it was about two weeks ago uh, ish. She put out a Twitter thread saying she was seriously considering the leadership and she was resigning as co-chair of Brown's campaign as a result to focus on this because that was, she was looking at her options. Two days before she made her final announcement, Brown's campaign manager stepped down saying that he was going to go work and support her. And then she announced she wasn't running. So, I mean, it is a little convenient for both her and I can't remember the campaign manager's name and I feel bad for both of them that they somehow weren't around when this happened. Well, that's what I'm getting to, right? Is that I just wonder if that was cover. Yep. I, you know what it, I mean? I remember, like I, sa- I said that today to a producer. I was like, hmm, I wonder if that was cover. And yeah, like I, I was just like, that's, that's exactly it. You know what yeah. I mean? That is exactly it. Yeah. This I mean, goes and- to show that she's quite a political animal, to be honest. Well, it also, it also gives more credence to the, to the, whatever the allegations actually are that, you know, yeah. you have people close to the campaign yeah. and they're like, I'm out. I don't want to be involved yeah, in this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. I have a hard time believing that Michelle Rempel Garner would walk away from a campaign that she said she believed in very much at the time that she announced she was going to work for him, that she would walk away from that for something that ultimately a week later, she was like, never mind, I don't want to do this. And then write that absolutely scathing takedown of both the UCP and the CPC for no reason. Like there's something that would have motivated that. And, and I, I would imagine that maybe this is part of it. This is so extra. I feel like this is like, it's so house of cards. I know. It's just without Ooh. any murder. So. <laughs> did you just knock on wood? <laughs> I did. I mean, you know what? Like, I'm not going to say anyone specifically would murder anyone, but you know, who knows, right? Like things but, are. Yeah. 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 Nuttier. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. So, okay. So (laughs) like the funny thing is there's so much going on. I don't even know which thread to pull. And so, um, uh, I know, I know the memberships that he, uh, signed up had been attacked by the Pierre Polyev campaign through rebel news. Um, yeah, I know exactly. News. Yeah. (laughs) Well, so I, I just find it interesting that, um, 
I just, I, 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 I'm not saying, listen, as I said, I'm not saying that Brown is innocent. I, I don't think Brown has been innocent since the day he was born. Okay. He always, you know, to me where there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, especially when it's just multiple like stacks going up in flames. You know what I mean? Yeah. So do I believe he did something shady? Yes. Do I believe that Pierre Polyev somewhere like his campaign brought it the shadiness to this attention of people? Yes. Oh, yeah. Do I believe that Pierre Polyev has done some shady shit that's just as shady? Yeah. Okay. But the point is, is that look at the constituencies of each of these like leadership candidates. You have Leslie Lewis, who I hope I didn't call Leona on CBC today, but whatever. <laughs> Leslie Lewis, who has the social conservatives. Yep. Um, I probably didn't because nobody tweeted at me. Um, <laughs> you have Pierre Polyev, who's, you know, a, has this contingent of angry, young, mostly white men. You have um, uh, Patrick Brown, no, sorry, Sheree, who's the establishment candidate, Yeah, who's the centrist establishment candidate. Historically have not been doing so well for a very long time. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you have Patrick Brown, who had like, you know, racialized minorities. Like, it's just, I just, and I just don't forget Scott Atchison, who I really like actually, because he's he's the one he's everybody not, likes. Yeah, I know, but he and he's coming out with like good policy. Well, he has one policy thing I hate, but like otherwise, he has good policies. Calling out supply management, and it's like in any normal world, someone like that who is a long-term MP who's bringing good policy and talking about policy, and he's not making videos sweet talking wood would actually be <laughs> what a phallic be, symbol <laughs> would actually be a, a potential leader i mean right. in any normal universe but of course like he's probably going to be fifth maybe 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 fourth now but and that to me is very disappointing in terms of the direction but in terms of also the tone that we are embracing within politics right now because right. scott is very like normal and just has normal he doesn't say weird things he doesn't attack people he's just kind of coming out with strong policy and that's it and that's not enough for us anymore we need that you know that firebrand type and even Trudeau with his his appeal has always been like you know the the, the speeches that he would give and the passion and the the sort of like poor man's Barack Obama thing he had going on and I think But it's true, right? And that's what people want. They don't want just someone who's like normal and stable. And it's just like, these are some good ideas I have. And I think this would help. That's because people are angry. People are fucking angry. That's why. People don't want, you know, listen, I don't know how Sheree is actually doing. Um, But it looks like it's it's squaring off to be Sheree versus Poiliev. 
And I just think in that scenario, Sheree is going down. Sorry. Mm -hmm. I just think he is. I I agree. I I agree. I would be. Because like, excuse me, but world trends and global trends and recent trends would suggest. Well, I mean, in fairness, sorry to cut you off, but the other Mm. thing I will just say is the Americans were like, oh, look at this. This middle, this like old centrist white dude who's promising us that everything's going to be okay. So we're just going to all get together and, and heal as a nation. Biden has been a fucking disaster. Yeah. And, you know, under his, under his watch, these things have happened and he hasn't used his presidential authority to ensure that Roe versus Wade is codified. He hasn't talked about expanding the Supreme Court. He, he hasn't done the Green New Deal. He hasn't pushed a lot of the things that he promised he would do. So I think that people look at that and, and they think, no, I don't want this stable, you know, person because what, what are they going to do for me? And Biden, yeah. unfortunately, is a great example of what happens when you kind of just, you know, you don't want hot water, you don't want cold water. So you're just like, this is lukewarm and this is fine. Yeah. Yeah. Tepid. Definitely. Like, I think that's a good, I think that's a great, observation because you know we were all after trump and during the 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 2020 election we were all every all the americans were like listen we've had enough of trump this this crazy man in 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 the white house da 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 da. anyway they said crazy not me anyway like i i had a I had a Joe Biden habit still. I didn't throw it away. I have a Biden Harris sweatshirt, and I remember being so stoked and like I was. Yeah, things gonna happen. Yeah, like, because the idea. That, yeah, the idea was that, they would I fix things, right? Yeah, when I said things are gonna happen, I didn't think the shittiest possible things are gonna happen. That was right. not the expectation. And so I think again, it, it is that people people want someone that they can that they think is going to actually produce Do something. Change. Yeah. And for the people who are angry and, and feel unheard and feel like Trudeau has not listened to them, Polyev gives them a voice. And anyone, I will say this too, and then I will stop ranting and let you actually ask a question, which is your job. Um, yeah. Uh, My I job is to facilitate discussion. You do a great job. <laughs> uh, but like all of the people I see on Twitter, especially who are just discounting Polyev because the messaging doesn't resonate with them. It's not for you. No, it's not for you. And the people that it's for, it deeply resonates with them. Of course. And so, and I wish people would understand that and see him for the threat that he is instead of just saying he's crazy, whatever, who cares? That's what people said about Trump. And look, I was just about to say, okay. I was just about to say, how, like, have we learned, have we learned nothing? No, we haven't. Because we think that we are superior to the Americans. It's our little, like, while we both, we, we also feel like inferior to them. We, we feel like, oh, well, our system is better. We would da, 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 and that will never happen here. And I'm not saying probably of us like Trump, but I'm just saying that we, we, we have a blind spot to the people that he's speaking to and why it resonates and no one wants to have that conversation. And the second that you start trying to have that conversation, I want to have that conversation. Yeah. Because that's the conversation that we need to have. We need to talk about how people like you could say it's the, Oh, it's these multicultural policies. No, it's the, it's really the fact that you 
don't feel secure in employment. That is the issue. Like, don't tell me about what the problem is. Tell me about the issue, right? Well, and I, I, I saw that you responded to um, a clip that Ryan Jesperson put out around uh, child luring and those issues. And you, and you said, well, can you also talk about the way in which white men are, are, uh, you know, made into extremists online? And I think that that's another part of this conversation is that, and again, I'm not ta- I'm not comparing this to Polyev in a way, but some of the people he speaks to have become extremists over the last two years, two and a half years. I don't think in 2019 pre-COVID that some of these people would have thought they'd be going in Ottawa and storming Ottawa and their stupid signs. And yeah, and, and that is, you know, while that isn't a group of people that I feel like I have a lot in common with, how exactly do you reach those people and bring them back? Because they're not all like terrible. They're not, they're not all terrible human beings. There are people who are hurting and who are angry. And how do you bring people like that back into a more mainstream conversation? And Polyev reaches them. And so I don't like, I, I don't know how you can. Neoliberalism created this problem. It creates most problems. Yeah. As- so like, that's like, you know, once you started, listen, I'll be honest, once you started shipping off jobs, it was only a matter of time, right? This, and this is exactly why you had so many people who were Sanders supporters vote for Trump because yes. they, felt they were yes. getting heard. It wasn't because they were Republicans. It was because someone was finally saying, hey, it fucking sucks that we took your job and we, we sent it away to, to another country. And now you you are working for barely anything and you're living in the, below the poverty line when Hillary Clinton is giving speeches to, to banks about how great they are. Like, it's very, you know, it, yeah. there is yeah. a reason that that message resonates. Yes, yes. And all I see is Christopher Freeland right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Same. Um, I will write that at some point and I'm going to just see how it lands. <laughs> Liberal Twitter will love it. I'm sure. I know. I know. I, 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 I hope I've done enough to earn their, you know, fire. So it's, it's good. Um, um, but I do dish it out pretty with equanimity anyway, because as well, the whole system's fucked. Okay. And it just gets worse. So let's move on to somebody else's system. Who's fucked England. Yes. So, so every, for, for those who don't know, as, as I said, we're recording on Wednesday, July 6, 2022. So basically today was question period in British parliament, which means that UK Twitter was like lighting on fire this morning right so basically what's happening with boris well three dozen members of his cabinet resigned in the past day um so uh rishi sunak um and sajid javid resigned tuesday within minutes of each other expressing a lack of confidence in, in Boris's leadership. Well, um, so the latest scandal engulfing Johnson um, include allegations that the prime minister promoted Chris Pritcher, a political ally he had been, he had known had been accused of misconduct. 
So uh, I just want to say that um, Javid is Britain's health and social secretary who led the response to the coronavirus pandemic. And Sunak was chancellor of the exchequer. Woo! So basically their finance minister resigned. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Chris Pritcher, a conservative lawmaker, was promoted in February to deputy chief whip in the House of Commons. So that involves, of course, keeping people in line. But Pritcher last week resigned. And why did he resign? It's because he allegedly tried to grope several men while intoxicated at a bar. Mm -hmm. So Pritchard had been accused of inappropriate behavior at least twice before, but as boys will be boys. um, Actually, he resigned from his post in government whip in 2017 after him, after he was accused of making unwanted advances. And uh, 2019, Boris brought him back into government and Pritchard was again accused of that behavior. So basically... He let a sexual predator, he promoted a sexual predator he knew was a sexual predator. And after all of these allegations and everybody's like, oh my God. And I just wonder, what the fuck did everybody expect? How is this the first time I've said fuck in this? Anyway. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, wow, how surprising that a sexual predator was allowed to roam the halls of power. That's never happened. That's so shocking. Um, And this is typical. And it's not just typical within the British system. This happens everywhere. He's your buddy. You're just like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna believe him. And I don't care. And my values end at when it involves someone I'm friends with. Yeah. Which very typical in all political structures, unfortunately. But isn't Um, that what Biden's doing too? with the Republicans. They're my friends. They're my colleagues. Like it's not, well, it's, I mean, it's, it's, also it's how- the same side. It's a, it's a different side of the same coin. It's my point. Right. Well, and it's how he handles some of the allegations against Ron Emanuel. Right. Like, Ron Emanuel Ooh. Is- Ooh. Ooh. Look at you pulling that out. Carry on. But peep. So, you know, Ron Emanuel has been, you know, accused of helping to cover up a police-involved shooting. Yes, and, Laquan McDonald. Yeah, yeah, and and Joe Biden has never done anything or said anything about that. However, if it's a Republican, of course he does. So it's it it's like Keith Ellison is another example. He's a Democratic mm-hmm. senator. He's a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. He beats women, and but that's fine because he's a Democrat. So I mean, it's the hypocrisy that exists mm-hmm. in all political structures when it comes to the people that you like is. Mm-hmm is it's not exclusive to England. The right. difference being here is that the rule within British Parliament, which it would be funny if we had it here, but we do not, is that if you are found to have lied to Parliament, you have to resign. That's the rule. Mm. Boris Johnson has lied to Parliament repeatedly as it relates to the parties that he had during COVID at 10 Downing Street. They are in the process. Partygate, as known yeah, as Partygate. Yeah. Partygate, yeah. So they're in the process of having an investigation into that. And if it is proven that he lied, he really will have to resign. But that's so, still ongoing in the background. So, so that's part of what led to where we are now. Okay. So let's stop for a minute and just do a recap that Partygate was 
a scandal involving Boris Johnson and some aides, some aides. Yeah, his his staff. Um, Basically attending parties during some of the worst of the coronavirus lockdowns while everybody else was forced into lockdown. If I remember correctly, it was Christmas 2020. Yes, it was Christmas. Yes. Now, I will say this for the Brits. You could do a lot of things that they will. You could cheat on your wife. You could beat your wife. You could do all sorts of things. But hypocrisy is something that the British really abhor. It's amazing to me how hypocrisy is the thing that they just cannot stomach. They cannot stomach. The fact that this guy had parties. Listen, if Trump did it in America, people would like Democratic base would be like up in arms. And then the Republicans would be like, so what? You know? Yeah. And I I think to the other part of it. And did he not have a confidence vote that came from that? Yes. So he he survived. survived. Yes. Barely. 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 And that was like a couple months ago or something. It was last month. So it happened Last when I was month. in France because my okay. dad made me check like 5,000 times to see what was happening. Um, <laughs> okay. And uh, the rules there are as well is that actually you only get one. Like they, they would have to apply for like a special, um, I don't know, parliamentary decision to be able to have a secondary confidence vote. And it looks like that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I think that what they're hoping for is that which he will not do, is that Boris will just resign. And I don't think that that is what's going to happen. But the problem is too, for the British people, I think is that, I mean, first of all, for any, everybody remembers what Christmas 2020 was like. It was terrible, mm-hmm. you know, not being able to be with your family, not, you know, being isolated, yeah. to knowing that, you know, the person in charge of you is partying his ass off. That's a little fucking annoying. And no pubs, right? No. No and, Christmas and then, parties at pubs. No. That's a big thing. And then on top of that, on top of that, there's this image, and I know she's not your favorite person, but it for in England it's important. There is this image in people's minds of Queen Elizabeth sitting by herself in church, isolating on the day of her husband's funeral. She wasn't even allowed to sit next to her kids because of the rules. And oh, that image is minds oh. as well. Yes, very good point. I will say yes. I agree with you. Even though I don't like her, the votes of the British public do. Well, and I or think does. everybody can feel a certain segment does like of her. Sorry. a certain segment of sympathy for a 97-year-old woman at her yeah. husband's funeral who can't even be next to her. I kids. agree. I and agree. That's happening and he's out partying. So that yeah. also is a big thing for people, I think. That's that's good. That's good. Background, I mean. Um, so okay, so that's happening in the background. Chris Pritchard. So Chris Pritchard uh, was what? Uh, like to Boris Johnson. I think they're, I think they went to school together if I remember correctly. Okay. Yeah. Well, they all went to school together because they're all the tippity top British echelon of fancy people, but I yes. think so they're friends. they went to school together and he gave him this position and you know, that, I think the problem too is that there's that all these things are happening, but he's also making deeply unpopular policy decisions that are being challenged. And one of those, for example, is the decision that they made to send uh, people who come into Britain as refugees to send them all 
summarily for no particular reason to Rwanda. Oh, the rendition. Yes. Yeah. And regardless of where they're from, they get sent to Rwanda. And that was challenged in the courts and it's on, it's, uh, it's been put on hold, but policies like that are not popular. And- yeah. And the thought that Pretty Patel is now saving her, uh, trying to save her, her rendition ass. Okay. Let's not even talk about the Windrush generation, which is another thing that she presided over her, Theresa May, Amber Heard. But anyway, I, I, you know, um, uh, which they which they put up a monument for I saw last week and uh, I was just like what the fuck is this you <laughs> you deport a whole bunch of people and then put a monument up for them what a fucking slap in the face and then you get racist Prince William to fucking preside over oh my god and then the, <laughs> I just it was just a shit show of bullshit and you know like I just couldn't anyway well- so Pretty Patel has is responsible for yes. she's a, she's she's you know home office minister yes. and is responsible for immigration and so all of those disgusting things that are happening in British immigration and I I believe the police too right I think so yeah I believe the Metro police probably somehow report to her too, which are going through their own scandal, by the way. Shocking. Shocking, but at least they, apparently there's um, a special committee that's overseeing them now or something like that. Yeah, so that is tied into, um, and now we're really getting to the British weeds. That is tied into the death of a- Yes, Sarah. Sarah. Oh. It- Ends with an E. uh, Oh my gosh. Anyway, okay. It it ties into while you're looking for that, I'll tell the listeners. Mm -hmm. Um, she was walking home from a bar and she was uh attacked and killed by an off-duty police officer. That's right. And who had previously had issues that had not been addressed. Uh, in terms of aggression towards women and violence against women. And that was one of the things that led to what happened. So Everard, Sarah Everard. Everard, yeah. So yeah. that so these so the, the, there's a lot of things going on in England right now that I think people are not and of course they have the same issues we do. They're 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 dealing with inflation. They're dealing with the comeback from COVID. There's a lot of stuff going on there as well. The the only thing is I think for Johnson is that there's no obvious successor, mm-hmm. you know, there's nobody who's like coming out and, and potentially could succeed him. So that, I think that that, oh, that maybe takes a little bit of the pressure off him. He's been, he's made it very clear. He has no intention of resigning, but I think it's, it also is important to note that, that Johnson is a very different kind of, he's very much more like a Doug Ford conservative than he is right. like a Pierre Polyev conservative. That's a, that's a good point. To, that's a good point and he's he's very charismatic too well yeah. and, people, sorry. people people like like him because he's messy and doesn't comb his hair and it's like he's kind of goofy he's endearing yeah. goofy yeah there's an endearing element to him i think and like you know and so it, it, but it, but he is going forward with these some of these policies that don't Makes they also just came out with an incredibly anti-transgender policy around uh, gender-neutral bathrooms. Oh, so geez. so while he does sort of have this kind of goofy, I'm just fun populist, you know, dude. 
he is also passing legislation that is that is incredibly uh, intolerant. And the banning of gender neutral bathrooms, which is, I believe, what the bill uh, has asked for, is one example of that, which, of course, speaks to the overarching anti-trans uh, messaging that's coming out of the right across the world. Yeah. But really, a lot of that started in England. A lot of it started in England. And you see that it's kind of come over to the states where now this is all Republicans want to talk about. But it's, it started there. Interesting, because we did talk about the libs of TikTok um, Twitter account people. who naturally amplify that messaging and uh, use it to move um, even people really high up in government uh, and how much it's shaping like Republican anti-trans bills. Um, but the, you're right, that rhetoric comes from somewhere. And a lot of times, like if you think about uh, people love to talk about how um, Canada is influenced by America. But if you really think about it, the Conservative Party had Kelly Leach running for um, oh, leader. Leach. Yeah, who loved her uh, Canadian values tests on immigrants to Canada. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that happened in 2015, 2016? 2016. 2016 ish. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So oh, you remember her campaign video where she was like staring off into yes, space? Yes. 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 You Amazing. know, I just say like Chris Alexander, she, Chris Alexander, the yep. kneecap ban, the barbarian tip line or barbarian practices, whatever barbarian line. Practices. And I will tell, I will say that happened I mean, in Canada in 2015. So I'm just saying, just like Brexit happened in 2015. I'm just saying some people need to get their timelines right and realize Rob yeah. Ford was 2010 and that's the thing. Okay. Well, and I think too, like, you know, it's been good, at least in Canada, we have seen like Chris Alexander, not that I completely like buy it, but it's also not mine to forgive. Yeah. But Chris Alexander, Michelle Rempel, Tim Apple, there've been a lot of high ranking conservatives who have come out and apologized uh, for the, for those policies. Yeah. And, and I appreciate that again, it's not my apology to accept it's the communities mm -hmm. negatively impacted, but I right. think there, they, we at least seem to hold on to a little bit of that, but we do have to be conscientious and this anti-trans anti-gay, uh, policies that are coming out both in Britain and in the United States could easily happen here if we aren't cautious and aware because it's always couched in this language of we're doing this to protect children we're yeah. doing this to um just bring things back to common sense like and, and they always couch it in this very soft language when what in fact they are doing is they are starting to try and almost criminalize trans and gay people and that is not acceptable and i think we just need to be very conscientious you know, of that. you know what the funny thing was britain see there was a time when britain was seen as more lgbtq friendly was it is it me tony blair under tony blair so they actually no i didn't imagine this did i no you didn't no it happened under tony blair so we all oh. forget tony blair actually despite his very poor decision making around iraq was <laughs> a labor prime minister and he did have um, a very socially progressive uh, platform that he acted on when he was prime minister, including legalizing gay marriage in England before us, by the way. Um, 
And so he did a lot of a lot of things around that that obviously are now kind of forgotten because of the fact that again Iraq. Um, but yeah, they they were. But I think that what's happened is that you you've seen these kind of slow burn conversations around trans rights and and having it be turned into instead of a conversation about let's just respect what people choose to do with their lives and who they are and what they want to identify as is turned into this we're risking children we're doing bad things to and it, and that has has really picked up and unfortunately what used to be i think only amplified by lunatics is starting to be amplified more and more and more by people you would call quote unquote mainstream conservatives. And the fact right. that England, as an example, has now banned certain usages of gender neutral bathrooms is a perfect example. Like, fuck off. Gender, you know, in airplanes, those are gender neutral, neutral bathrooms. Like, what the hell are you talking about? Why does it matter? But it matters because it's virtue signaling to a certain component of people who are, are unfortunately getting louder and louder and louder. Yeah, and getting more influential. And that's yeah. a problem. Yeah. That is a huge problem. Um, to me, you know, it, it, it's, and it's funny how feminism has been. Um, I was wondering if we were going to get to this. Yeah. Has been almost split apart by this. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Um. So in terms of feminism, you know, you have the first wave, second wave, third wave, but feminism has always been in many ways and the concept of feminism and the higher profile feminism, feminists have always been dominated by white women. Um, and it's always been dominated by, by very specific white women issues. And, you know, I saw, I think it was you who posted something around the co-opting of Me Too by, by women, by the co-opt, I mean, Alyssa Milano. Um, the co-opting of so many of these different issues by white women and, and, and by white, white feminists. They were literally during their abortion for in, in coming up to their abortion protests, like, should we take a knee? I'm like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Yeah, it's, I think it's very, <laughs> it's, it's just like, what? it feels like a lot of, a lot of white women and like for your listeners who don't already realize this, I'm super, super white. Um, so I can talk about my people this way. Um, it, there's a desire to center yourself in conversations that you're not a part of mm-hmm. and to, to, to understand that there are, there are times when you just need to step the fuck back and let other people be part of that conversation. And when you're talking about the transgender community and you're talking about the gay community and what is going on there, you're unfortunately seeing this wave of people, a lot of whom I used to love who are all of a sudden saying incredibly damaging things to the trans community because they think somehow by doing that they're protecting their womanhood which i i will never understand this this fear that they seem to have of like well if if a transgender woman is a woman then i'm not a woman like no one is saying that no one is taking away your rights what are you talking about but i, it's, I it's, do not understand how that is I, I don't understand how that's even an argument. But I think it is, again, it comes into um, a lot of the rhetoric around trans issues is so subtle. And I mean, obviously there's the, the hateful ones that are very specific, like libs of TikTok, but some of it is very subtle. And that I see seems to sort of be 
coming into the consciousness of these people. I don't think Bette Midler ever thought of herself as someone who would be anti-LGBTQ, but then she posts some bullshit about like, I'm a woman, you're not a woman. Like, uh. because I think she, and somehow she feels like her rights are at risk because trans women exist. And I, I, I think that that's where feminism has always fallen down. I mean, white feminism was never very good in terms of dealing with, with the civil rights movement within dealing with a lot of other issues and understanding the experience and including the experience of, of BIPOC individuals within that conversation, indigenous issues. You don't see a lot of third wave feminists going out there talking about missing and murdered indigenous women. So ain't that the truth? Yeah. So I think that there is, there is like, there is a huge disconnect and I don't know. And, and like I said, a huge desire to center themselves in a conversation that they shouldn't even be a part of to begin with. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I think that, that that kind of has led to this. And these are also the women who, who didn't go out and vote, who didn't go out in the United States and actually do so, or they voted for Trump and they, and they voted for the president who brought in three Supreme Court justices who have taken away their rights. So, and now they're bitching about it. Like there, there's a lack of willingness to do the work, the mm-hmm. actual work, but there's a lot of willingness to do the posting and the mm-hmm. Instagram posts and the Twitter posts. Like that's mm-hmm. where I find, and then they won't give the credit to the, the black and Latina and indigenous and all these other women who are the reason that Biden won. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That was a big rant. Sorry to your listeners. But my- no, that was a good rant. I like that rant. No. So what do you see happening in the UK then? Or do you see, actually, let's not make predict, let's not make predictions. Let's not put you on the spot and make predictions. Um, what are the consequences of this blow up? Because as I, as I can see, the, the economic outlook mm-hmm. for the UK is not great. No, it's not great anywhere, but I think. No, but like considering, like compared to everybody else in the G7, it is probably at the bottom. I, I think that what will, if I was to make a prediction, um, I think that Johnson will survive for a bit longer. He might not survive forever. But I also think that what we've seen a trend in, in most everywhere, except for apparently Alberta, is people want stability. Even if they don't like it, that's what they want. They want the mm. same thing because over the last two years, everything was insane. And that's why I think you've seen so many incumbents win. Mm-hmm. Like Macron is not popular in France at all in no. quite any stretch. Mm-hmm. But he won because people didn't like the person he was running against, but also because people just want stability and security and consistency. And I think that Johnson represents that. And the labor movement hasn't really done a good job of vocalizing who they are. And so I think for the time being, he could potentially survive. And unfortunately, as we've learned, issues around sexual harassment don't really matter that much to people. So I don't see it being something that's going to be a long-term thing. The partying, I think, could be, and maybe he will get kicked out. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that the sexual harassment stuff is enough because I have been around long enough to see how little that seems to matter to voters. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a kitchen table issue, as they put it. No, it's not. And I wish, I wish to God it was, and I work every day to try to make it a kitchen table issue, but yeah, no, it's not. Even with women. So 
So, but that's another discussion for another time. <laughs> All right, Kristen, thank you for bringing us up to date on this um, fuckery of conservatism that seems to have. I feel like you should have like a weekly session with me, which can be called just like what the fuck conservatives did now. What the fuck conservatives do now? Yeah, for sure. Because you know what? We'll never run out of material. No, we won't. Mm-mm. Anyway, we'll have you back very soon. Excellent. So where can people find you on Twitter? What's yes. your handle? Uh, it's Kristen Rayworth is my handle. It's not is it Rayworth? Rayworth, yeah. I'm I know sorry. people pronounce it all the time. Don't worry about it. It's, not it's okay. Not Rayworth. Rayworth. Yeah. I apologize. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, oh, and soon, soon, your beloved listeners will also get to experience my father on Twitter because he asked me today to set up a Twitter account for him. So anyone who <laughs> follows me on Twitter knows I talk about my dad a lot. Yeah. And he has a novel coming out. And so. I oh, nice. On social, it's an erotica novel. Are you serious? Yeah, I am. Yeah, I unfortunately am very serious. <laughs> so I have to put him up on social media so that he can he can talk about his book. Oh my gosh, this is hilarious. I'm going to leave that. But uh, well, the but- Cardinal's niece, an erotic obsession. <gasps> I'll send you a copy, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the perks of the job. And my dad's on Twitter too, but I don't, I don't let people know. I know. <laughs> And you know what? I never let people know who he is because I'm like, dad doesn't need that type of drama. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. It's yeah. I'm, I don't know how my dad's going to tweet. Yeah. Like, I just like, like sometimes he pops up and I'm just like, okay, I'm not going to let people know this. Is my dad. Yeah, my mom, is, <laughs> she's very like nothing. She doesn't really post is she, anything. Is she like, is she more like an observer? Yeah. She yeah. lingers. Yeah. She lingers. So, like, yeah. Much, but my dad, like, oh, I'm just, I have no, I, yeah, and he wants an Instagram, and I'm like, what the fuck are you gonna put on Instagram? But yeah, so anyways, this will be an exciting adventure. <laughs> All right, we'll come back and see us when Dad's set up. Oh, I okay. will. All right, okay. Every- All right, everybody, we will see you next time, and enjoy. Bye. Bye. Ah, all right. Welcome back to the Bad and Bitchy podcast. Um, so let me just tell you, uh, because of the great Rogers debacle, okay, the great Rogers bloody outage, which you heard was our misogynist of the week on Friday. Um, because of that, I couldn't really edit the pod, you know, internet and all that. So Uh, We're going to, we played the original one for you, and now we have an update because we always like to keep it fresh around here. All right. So we have Kristen back with us. Kristen Wayworth, welcome back. Thank you. All right. So Johnson (laughs) resigned in the most spectacular way. (laughs) And uh, 
let's just let you hear the speech for itself. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. It, thank you, thank you. It is clearly now the will of the Parliamentary Conservative Party that there should be a new leader of that party and therefore a new Prime Minister. And I've agreed with Sir Graham Brady, the chairman of our backbench MPs, that the process of choosing that new leader should begin now. And the timetable will be announced next week. And I've today appointed a cabinet to serve, as I will, until a new leader is in place. So I want to say to the millions of people who voted for us in 2019, many of them voting Conservative for the first time, thank you for that incredible mandate the biggest Conservative majority since 1987, the biggest share of the vote since 1979. And the reason I have fought so hard in the last few days to continue to deliver that mandate in person was not just because I wanted to do so, but because I felt it was my job, my duty, my obligation to you to continue to do what we promised in 2019. And of course, I'm immensely proud of the achievements of this government from getting Brexit done to settling our relations uh, with the continent for over half a century, uh, reclaiming the power for this country to make its own laws in Parliament, getting us all through the pandemic, delivering the fastest vaccine rollout in Europe, the fastest exit from lockdown, and in the last few months, leading the West in standing up to Putin's aggression in Ukraine. And let me say now to the people of Ukraine that I know that we in the UK will continue to back your fight for freedom for as long as it takes. And at the same time, in this country, we've been pushing forward a vast programme of investment in infrastructure and skills and technology, the biggest in a century, because if I have one insight into human beings, it is that genius and talent and enthusiasm and imagination are evenly distributed throughout the population. But opportunity is not. And that's why we must keep levelling up, keep unleashing the potential of every part of the United Kingdom. And if we can do that in this country, we will be the most prosperous in Europe. And in the last few days, I've tried to persuade my colleagues that it would be eccentric to change governments when we're delivering so much and when we have such a vast mandate and when we're actually only a handful of points behind in the polls, even in mid-term after quite a few months of pretty relentless sledging and when the economic scene is so difficult domestically and internationally. And I regret not to have been successful in those arguments. And of course, it's painful not to be able to see through so many ideas and, and projects myself. But as we've seen uh, at Westminster, uh, the herd instinct is powerful. When the herd moves, it moves. And my friends, in politics, no one is remotely indispensable. And our brilliant and Darwinian system will produce another leader equally committed to taking this country forward through tough times, not just helping families to get through it, but changing and improving the way we do things, cutting burdens on businesses and families and, yes, cutting taxes, because that is the way to generate the growth and the income we need to pay for great public services. And to that new leader, I say 
wherever he or she may be, I say I will give you as much support as I can. And to you, the British public, I know that there will be many people who are relieved and uh, perhaps quite a few who will also be disappointed. And I want you to know how sad I am to be giving up the best job in the world. But them's the breaks. Okay, what the fuck was that? It, it was amazing. I like his basically just like, this is a great job, but them's the breaks. Things yeah. happen. Just- I mean, I mean, I've never seen such privilege oozing from one fucking speech. I mean, it's like one- I, he might as well have said, I'm rich, bitch, and just and just exited the stage. One hilarious side note to this is you can hear it a little bit in the speech, but it was more obvious after with the press coverage is Hugh Grant uh, tweeted out that it would be funny if someone went to 10 Downing Street and was playing the Benny Hill theme, which is sort of, you know, like a like, yeah, and playing the Benny Hill theme while this was going on. And someone actually did. And they went down there with a loudspeaker and they played it on repeat for three hours. That sounds like the British. It it's, does. Yeah, it, it's it is classic them. Yeah, it is. And this yeah. this resignation is classic Boris Johnson because I mean, it's also like pulling a Kenny because he's resigned, but he hasn't resigned because yeah. he's not actually leaving. And he's yeah. even going to be naming new cabinet ministers since all of his quit. Um, so it it's <laughs> just a it, fucking joke. <laughs> it's ridiculous like it's just absolutely ridiculous and okay but but is there not a replacement um race going on yes so there is a, a replacement there's about i think three or four people who have kind of put their hats in the ring just let me find them because my father who is now on twitter has wanted everyone to know his opinions about this he was tweeting about it the other day i'm gonna follow your dad um so there are four sorry uh zahali javid braverman sunak and penny moderant i think is her name and Mm -hmm. she's the favorite she's the favorite why apparently yeah um i don't know i think she's sort of like she's considered to kind of be not very um like she'll be kind of just stay the course because i think that the party believes because keep in mind boris johnson won a huge majority government like Mm -hmm. a year ago not even i don't think um and she would be considered kind of a stay the course person because i don't think they think the issues were their policies the issue was was johnson so they're going to continue kind of the policies of what they were doing that got them elected and that got them a majority government just maybe like with less partying and less like sexual assault uh complicity Right. So they're still doing the Rwanda thing and they're they're obscene. That's policies. on hold. That was on the court. Right, put right, right, right. I don't know right. what's going to happen with those with those cases. And, you know, I was thinking because we talked about that. And when I was in France recently, I was in when I was in the northern part of France, my aunt lives in a town called Calais and Calais basically is yeah, right. Calais. The yeah, that isn't that the isn't that where a lot of the lorries um uh, cross the English Channel. Yes. So yeah. what that means is that a lot of uh, refugees and people who are seeking uh, to go to England, they will travel from across the world 
and end up in Calais. So there is this, there's a lot of aid organizations um, that work there to work with these. And it's, it's almost always exclusively young men, usually around between the ages of 19, 22. And the first full day that I was there, my aunt was taking me around and we drove down a little street and you could see sort of this lineup of all these young men being given sandwiches and water and, and aid. Mm. And I think the next day or the day after there was a, a piece aired on French TV where they were talking to these, these guys and saying like, you do know that this is the policy in England. You know, why do you still want to go there? And they're saying for freedom, I want to go there to get a job. I want to have a future. I want to be able to provide for my family. I want to, you know, and they're all, all the so things. young. Yeah. And, and it just, for me, not that I did, you know, I wasn't supportive of it ever, but when you see that human side of it and you see these people and you see how young they are, they're babies, like 18, 19 to me is babies. And mm-hmm. they're, they're, they've traveled already like an incredible distance. Most of them come from Central African countries and they've traveled in through Greece or in through Spain and then all the way up to France. Wow. And then they're just saying, no, like anything, it's worth it. It's worth it for a shot to be able to, to make a life for myself. And it just, so what the, what the Johnson government is doing is, is inhumane. I can't imagine looking at that and looking at these people who just want to come to this country and make a new life for themselves and saying, yeah, fuck you. I'm going to send you to Rwanda. Yeah. Yeah. The heartlessness is, is troubling. Um, also, I all because it is uh, bad and bitchy, we also have to point out that um, the Americans have been commenting about how surprisingly diverse this new field of con- contestants are. Yeah. And, you know, um, I'm not particularly surprised. I don't I don't find that particularly surprising, to be honest. Um, well, of course they would. Right. I mean, right. it's, it is, it is not typical in American politics for someone who's not white to be in the upper echelons of power. I mean, Barack Obama was the exception, not the rule. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the UK, especially with, um, East Asian pops and South Asian populations, you have a significant amount of communities who have been there for decades and decades and decades. There's a very strong, um, South Asian community in Britain. So it's not mm-hmm. surprising that a good chunk of the leadership candidates come from that community. That's a very highly representative community in the UK. Right. Um, so uh, now it's not trickled down to their supporters. Uh, Tory grassroots remains overwhelmingly male and white during the last election, and it hasn't resulted in more votes. During the election, the Conservatives stayed stuck at roughly 20% of the ethnic minority vote, compared with Labour's 64%. Also, the Tories' embrace of diversity among their senior ranks has hardly made Conservative politics more progressive either. Many of the party's ethnic minority leadership hopefuls are, in fact, among its most hardline politicians on policy issues such as immigration, Brexit, and the rights of transgendered people. The, multicultural- the, Rwanda, the yep. Rwanda decision was championed by a cabinet minister who's of South Asian descent. Yes, Priti Patel. Yes. Who honestly is, is hovering around evil incarnate. Okay, 
Um, so I, I, and I point this out to stress what I always stress, which is diversity is never just the answer. I mean, it's a necessary condition, sure, but it's not um, a sufficient one. And so, you know, you can see this with um, Eric Adams, the mayor in New York, who has some awful <laughs> policies. And <laughs> the guy you know, who's going to get paid for Bitcoin. Yeah, that one. That one. So, you know, I, I'm just pointing out, I don't want people to think that diversity means that everything's well and good and that somehow the policies are getting better because no, they don't. And I think you see that in the United States. You see that with Herschel Walker. You see oh my some, God, that man. Oof. Yeah, he, he's a fucking nut job. Yeah. But you, you do see, and even when they will um, come out with some very hard line policies like the wall, People mm-hmm. like Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, they bring right. them out as sort of like, see, look at, look at, the, and so I don't think being diverse ne- necessarily means you have good views about things. You just, you're just someone who is diverse, but also your opinions are stupid. Yeah. And, but with conservatives, they do try to point to that as a sign that they are a growing party and, and sort of a, able to reach different communities. But like we talked about with Patrick Brown, I think frequently those are the parents or the grandparents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They are not necessarily the children and the people coming up in this new generation who are going to be supportive of those policies. And you've seen there was a piece in the line about um, dysphoria voting and sort of in, in South Asian communities in Canada and how that works and and how and Raheem Muhammad wrote it. It's a very good piece. It's very interesting to understand how those blocks work. But mm-hmm. that is talking to a the older generation in those communities. It's not talking to younger people and I think that the conservative party in the UK shows that because a lot of young people will look at for example the Rwanda policy and be horrified and not want to support a party that would do that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because it is objectively evil it's an evil thing to do yes and you could tell like with the Brexit vote it was very generational yes so um and that that cut across racial lines too so yeah, I, I think there's a lot to support that. Well, a lot. and that's, I mean, to be honest about Brexit, because that's another thing I think, you know, that ultimately did hurt Johnson is a lot of people didn't, I don't think they realized how much their lives were going to change when they, when they agreed to that. Mm-hmm. And what that has done to the typical life of a, of a British person. Mm-hmm. So as opposed to being able to cross the channel, go into France, which they, they, English people, and I say this as someone whose father is also like this, they have a hard on for France like nobody's business. They love it very much. And pre-Brexit, there was a lot of retired English people who lived in France. And Spain and Portugal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And as soon as Brexit happened, they all left. Mm -hmm. There was a huge outflux of of these of these people who then now had to because they couldn't get residency or they couldn't get health care or they couldn't get the supports that they had previously because they were no longer considered a citizen of the country. And so it's had a lot of negative impacts as well, but it was sold to people on a lie. It was sold about, oh, we're going to be able to put all this money back into the National Health Care Center Service. That didn't happen. This is going to prevent immigration. That didn't happen. This mm-hmm. is going to do A, B, C, and D, and it hasn't done any of that. And you don't even see a huge benefit overall to the British people for Brexit. I think that a lot of people would change their vote if they could. Hmm. Wow. And it brought down not one, not two, but 
in three, part three. Yeah. Well, I guess I guess the last one was the pandemic. It was a bunch of different things because, you know, when you because he was the face when 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 Brexit was first happening, he was mayor of London and he would go go around and talk about his stupid little bus about like this is how much more money it will put into the National Health Care Service, which was a completely ridiculous amount of money. I think he pulled out of his ass and it wasn't true. Mm-hmm. And so he wore that and he did promise Brexit and he made it a reality. And mm-hmm. so he's the one who does wear the negative consequences for British people. Fair, fair, fair. So, so who's the favorite? So her name is Penny Mordaunt. Ironically, since we were just talking about the diversity in the Conservative Party, she's the one non-diverse person. (laughs) She's currently the Minister of State for Trade. Okay. And she's 50 years old, so she's young. She's attractive. She's, you know, she kind of... And, you know, but this is typically, this is another thing I love that, like, every country seems to have in common. A guy comes as a leader, mm-hmm. wins a majority, screws shit up, and then a woman gets put into his place to kind of, like, clear it up, and she wears the electoral consequences of his bad decisions. The glass so cliff. Like, yeah, it's like Kim Campbell all over again. Um, so, yeah, so, she, uh, so she's been in office and been an MP since 2010. Okay. So she hasn't, she hasn't fucked up yet. No. So she's, so she's been around for a long time. She's apparently one of the favorites. So we'll see. I mean, it's, but it's, you know, like conservative races as I feel like we've learned in. (laughs) You never know. And going into an election, going into a leadership as the favorite is actually not really always. It's not, it's not good. It's really not good. No. Um, uh, is there any update on pa- okay this Patrick Brown thing now yes I'm confused well um, we'll state facts and then we can get into the conspiracies that have kind of come out of this so when we talked about Patrick Brown the first time there was sort of these allegations it wasn't clarified what they were just that there were allegations and that he had violated <laughs> the Elections Act and the, and the party rules. And Ian Brody put out this thing late at night saying, you know, he's done with very little detail. Mm-hmm. I think all of us, myself included, kind of believed it was probably issues around memberships. Mm-hmm. What it turns out that it was, was that someone working for him, instead of being paid through the Patrick Brown campaign and through traditional uh, channels, was actually being paid by a third party, party corporation. Mm-hmm. And only woman, one it was this it's it's one specific woman who is sort of the whistleblower in the case okay i'm going to find her name because i know i'm going to screw it up it's a very like typical name whistleblower patrick brown funnily enough when you when you put in whistleblower patrick brown it's like which which time <laughs> i think we said that last time didn't we that he has a history yes so um Deborah Joden is her name. So she's a longtime conservative uh, advocate and party member and has been a huge Patrick Brown supporter and cheerleader. When Patrick Brown stepped down as PC leader, she was one of those people out there basically slandering the women involved in the uh, allegations against Wait him. Wait a minute, she's the whistleblower? Yes. What? Yes, so she 
has was a longtime brown brown ally. Like you can go back and see some of this, her awful things that she said about the women who came forward about Patrick Brown, and the way she spoke about them and anyone who said anything negatively about him. Like she was like a hundred percent Patrick Brown, yay. Uh, and then according to her and a statement issued through her lawyer, uh, she went to go work for him and for his leadership. And she started to, you know, as you do when you work for a campaign, she was expensing things. Mm-hmm. And she was seeing that her expenses were being paid back to her through this corporation and not through the Patrick Brown campaign. Mm. And that is a violation of the Elections Act. And that is a violation of the Conservative Party rules. And then that's when she came forward <clears throat> to the party with with the allegations of what had happened so that and he maintains that's not true and you know he's 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 trying to fight the ruling and saying that because it was a thing called 11-6 I believe yeah 11-6 to disqualify him that that's not concrete enough and that he deserves an opportunity to deal with this da, 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 da. um so that's the facts of what has happened and okay. then you look at the conspiracy theories and there are two groups of people who dislike Pierre Polyev. There are obviously the conservatives who are Brown supporters or really just don't like him as a person. And then there's liberals who hate him, who just think that he's significantly more powerful than he, I think he actually is. And so they've kind of constructed this narrative and Patrick Brown has fed into this narrative that this woman was put up to this by the, by the Polyev campaign that somehow- right. They were behind this, that she's actually a secret Polyev supporter. That she's that a she, plant, basically. Yeah, that she did way back and whenever it was that Patrick Brown was kicked out of the PC party, what was that, 2016, 2017? Right, whenever that was? Can you remember uh, when that was? 2017, I want to say. Because 2018 so like, was the election. Yeah. So, so late 2017, maybe, yeah. All the way back then, she was already plotting this, which makes no complete sense at all. But anyway, this is sort of the narrative that's been constructed by Patrick Brown, his supporters, and people who really just don't like Pierre Polyev, that somehow she's a plant, that there is something incorrect with this. When really, if it's this cut and dry, that's actually something that's pretty easy to prove. Was she paid by a corporation or was she not? You can look through her bank records. It doesn't seem that difficult to prove. Right. So he's pretty much dead to rights. Yeah. And then now, like, I think we've talked about, like, all these different city councilors in Brampton are like, yo, you've been doing shady shit here, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is he being sued, though? Patrick, is he being sued? I thought they were suing him, no? Uh, uh, I don't. Oh, no. The the, the city councilors? Yeah. No, I, think, I don't think they're suing him. I think they're at, they're asking him to step down. And oh, not they're asking again. him to step down. That's what it was. Okay, yeah. my bad. But yes. he so I mean, but at a certain point, when you've had this many people disconnected from each other, saying kind of the same things about you, it stops being some vast conspiracy and starts being just the fact that like maybe you're really shady. Maybe you're just a dick. Maybe you know. Just a thought. And so Patch, you know, he has, he has, you know, provided support to Jean Charest and said that, you know, if it's not him, that's who we want it to be. I don't know if, I, if I'm Jean Charest, if I really want to that at the moment, I just kind of probably would want to not be engaged in that. But so that has what, that's what's happening, Patrick Brown. So basically Patrick Brown is exactly what everybody thinks he is. Okay. 
the only the only question mark now is what happens to the people that he signed up and where do they go if they go anywhere at all yes and as you were saying they might stay home yeah gotcha very well they very well might stay home and so it's i mean i again i think i've said this previously but i would be surprised if it's not polyev on the first ballot i don't see there being a huge uh wave of support for jean charay sadly not for scott atchison so i think that it'll probably end up going to going to pierre right away so okay i'm reading that patrick brown is thinking about running again for mayor brampton of course he is i mean i i like if you if you looked up entitled man in the dictionary, I feel like it would be Brown. You know, someone made a joke that like when maybe it was David, I don't remember, but someone made a joke that like now that um, Boris Johnson had resigned, maybe Patrick Brown would look into whether or not he had some British blood and he could go run for prime minister of England. Like <laughs> he'll go I mean, wherever he can get elected, really. Oh my gosh, he's he's a hoe. <laughs> yes, he's a political hoe, and I say that <laughs> like, I mean, I have my own political hoey tendencies, but yeah. Patrick Brown puts me to shame. Yeah, and excuse me, everybody. As I was saying, I'm watching P Valley, and you know things just come out. So, um, thank you, Kristen, for that because you know what, I honestly, I'll be honest with you. After we talked about Patrick Brown yesterday, I mean, not yesterday, but last week, I was just like, you know what? I evolved into, this guy's fucked up. <laughs> like, that's what I evolved it. That, that's what it was. At first, I, you know, as you know, I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was highly questionable the way it happened. And then I, I looked it up, like just looked up Patrick Brown a little bit, knowing that you know the whole Barry thing happened in other words you know sexual you know misconduct so dude listen dude sexual misconduct there's something wrong with dude that's what I'm saying and I I think I think too it's that you know fool me once you know shame on me fool me twice I guess to Ontario shame on you again um, so like, there's only so many times you can be engaged in, in, in behavior that is questionable because he was a PC leader that did not involve the sexual um, harassment allegations. He was, there were other things as well. So it's been a consistent thing. And I just think that people dislike Pierre so much that it's very easy to fall into this thought pattern of it being him. And of course he did something like some, you know, like he's like the shadow master, just like people think Harper is, like mm. he lingers um and also because like i said before the conservative party handled it very weirdly like putting out a mm -hmm. lease away tonight being very subtle about it but yeah once once this letter came out from this woman and she was very clear and she went you know i think that that kind of that was it's like it's open and shut now buddy like either this happened or it didn't and it's kind of easy to prove either way and having been paid by campaigns i know what it looks like when it shows yeah. up in your bank now yeah this is this is no like Oh, I just got my first job out of no, this is somebody who was with the party for 20 years. Yeah. 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 So you you know what it looks like. And so I just think that, you know, it's uh 
he wants to paint himself as a victim, but that's what he's always done. And right. I think that this time it's not going to be as successful. Yeah. And, you know, maybe he will just go back to, to whence he came and try and run for Mayor Brampton again. And maybe he'll be successful. I don't know. I mean, Brampton politics aren't my, my thing, but <laughs> I do know that you, Patrick Brown is an example of a certain kind of politician who just can't stop. Like, even if they lose all the time, they still want to run. They want to be engaged. Like, they have some sort of, like, that's all they know how to do and how to be is a politician. Mm-hmm. And I think that he's, he's, he's an example of that. And that can be a good thing. I've seen some politicians come back from, from losing and win again and go on to do other things. Um, but I think that in Patrick Brown's case, maybe he should stop. Yeah. Yeah. And on that note, we're out. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us. And of course, as usual, uh, misogynist of the week is coming up. I must say we haven't um, we haven't really sorted out the summer yet, but mostly we'll probably be off in August and part of September. Uh, right in time for when the legislatures, the legislature parliament sits. Thank you. All right. As usual. No, wait a minute. There's a conservative race we got to talk about before that happens. We need to come back for that. And I will remind you that July 20th in Alberta is the cutoff for UCP leadership candidates. So after that, we will get a sense of who's actually going to be running to be premier of Alberta. And there you go. So we will see Kristen very soon, hear from her very soon. All right, everybody, until next time, ciao.